you there, didn't I? Started with some nice romantic music. Um, you know, I, it, it's one of the reasons I play that is that the message there about how ambiguous life can be, how love and all the good things can be so close and yet so far away at the same time, so unreachable so often, even at the best of times. But, you know, especially people who have struggled in life to do the right thing, who keep getting knocked down for doing it, who have lost our loved ones, a lot of people in the battle, as I have. It reminds me today, going in once again to this new campaign of ours, which we're going to talk about, reminds us of the importance of persevering over the years, persevering and recognizing that nothing we do is ever wasted, even though it seems we're alone, it seems we're being defeated, knocked down all the time. I love that quote that says, what we do in life echoes through eternity. And I strongly believe that. It's one of the things that's kept me going. So with that in mind, and as a matter of fact, that film, that, that song is taken from How High the Moon. It's um, taken from a film called Good Night and Good Luck. It's about a guy called Edward Morrow. He was an American journalist who took on the McCarthy blacklisting in the 1950s. And the way it was terrorizing people, the way the state continues to do that, target its opponents. And one of the things that Edward Morrow said in a broadcast in 1952 is, we will not walk in fear one of another. We will not be driven by fear into an age of unreason. If we dig deep into our history and our doctrine, we remember that we are not descended from fearful men. Not from men who fear to write, to associate, to speak, and to defend the causes that were for the moment unpopular. This is not the time for those who oppose tyranny to keep silent. And that's one of those impulses and thoughts that keep us going as we reach inside ourselves and try to find more strength and purpose with which to carry on. You know, it, it can be, often I speak to those of you out there who know what I'm talking about, our fight can seem to be a long and unrequited loneliness. But it's one that's gifted sometimes to those who recognize that we can, in the midst of that darkness, find that spark of courage that we can ignite in others. 
and we watch that as these blood-soaked thrones of tyranny start to tremble and begin to fall. Well, that's a moment that appeared again this past week in Vancouver as child killers in robes and their accomplices in government were confronted and ordered by we the people to get out of town. Today on Hillary's Stand, we're going to be discussing how that happened during the kickoff of our banishment and reclamation campaign this last week, a campaign that is aimed at reclaiming the wealth and the land stolen by these genocidal Catholic, Anglican, and United Churches, and how we're putting on trial again the people who murdered some of our friends in Vancouver, who at the cost of their own lives brought up the truth of the residential school massacre. The indictment against those responsible will be public or released this coming week on Wednesday, September 20th. Well, also on this show, though, besides that, we're going to be talking about how a delegation of Indigenous elders and citizens were actually barred from the Vancouver Council meeting this last September 12th, last Tuesday, when that delegation appeared to demand that the mayor and city councillors of Vancouver cancel all licensing and tax exemptions for the murderous Catholic, Anglican, and United Churches that not only killed 60,000 children, but they're continuing those crimes today. The city council not only barred our delegation, but they then began to fall out among themselves because it turns out that two of the city councillors agree with us and they want the city to cancel those privileges and tax exemptions. But in response, the city of Vancouver has now imposed a media blackout and has gagged all the council members who are banned from speaking to the press or to anyone about that cease and desist order given to them by us last Tuesday. Well, all of that's how the dominoes begin to topple. It's a sure sign of an enemy in confusion and retreat. Because those kinds of actions are being taken across Canada, there's others approaching their own city governments with the same motion to say, we the citizens refuse to financially subsidize these murderous churches, not only for what they did to generations of indigenous children, but how they continue to traffic children, launder money for organized crime, defraud the public, Use a thing called a baby for adoption protocol whereby young women who are pregnant have their babies actually trafficked in utero. In Catholic, uh, it's called the BFA protocol. The Catholic Church has this with hospitals and adoption agencies. Active child trafficking when babies are still in the womb. That's all being documented. And when the police and the government and others support these churches, they're aiding and abetting those crimes. So it's up to all of us now to put the brakes on this whole system. And that also means going to the police. And it's interesting because in the past, when we've approached the police and in Vancouver, when we're doing the church occupations and told them they're required by law not to protect those criminally convicted churches, self-admitted genocidal churches, they always stand back. We've issued a similar cease and desist order to the Vancouver police. And it's interesting because just this, uh, today we received an email response by a Vancouver constable called Cairns Graham, who said that he had been notified by St. Augustine Catholic Parish in Vancouver that somebody had asked them about the upcoming protests at their churches by survivors. And don't forget that Catholic churches in Vancouver have been continually picketed and protested by survivors of their crimes of genocide. Well, once again, the Vancouver police is aiding the criminal, not the victims, and um, there, this Karen's Graham asked in the email if we could provide information on these protests to ensure that the parishioners are able to attend their services safely. Well, somebody should tell this guy, as we intend to, that his position is not to go to bat for child trafficking churches because that same church that he's trying to protect have a policy whereby the police are not to be informed when children are raped by, by the Catholic Church. In other words, he's raiding and abetting these churches that are involved in a criminal conspiracy to protect child rapists. That's what Karen's Graham is doing. Maybe he or she doesn't realize that um, that's the role they're playing, although it's interesting, when you go to the Vancouver Police Department website, it turns out you can hire Vancouver police. Uh, go to special events and protests under vpd.ca, and you'll see how much the Vancouver police charge to hire them. A special municipal constable, uh, you have to pay $77.57 for the free state hours and $119 an hour after that. Constable can be hired for 164 an hour, a sergeant 205 bucks an hour, staff sergeant 230 and a police inspector like 
the infamous Constable Peter Montague, who's operating their shutdown campaign against their movement, Peter goes for 263 bucks an hour. That's how much it costs to buy a Vancouver policeman to go to bat for you, whether you're organized crime or a criminally convicted churches. So this rent-a-cop system shows you folks who the tr- uh, cops are really working for and why we need to be our own police. Deputize those police to work for us, and if not, perform citizens' arrest um, yourselves, because don't forget... Citizen arrest laws allow anyone to detain anyone who's even suspected that they might harm a child. Well, by that measure, any clergyman from these any of these churches can be detained because they're part of a criminal conspiracy. So that shows you, you know, these actions uh, to, uh, whereby the Vancouver City Council, the police, they all expose themselves. That's a way to teach us not only how to conduct this campaign about their, the crimes of these churches, but the longer view. How do we set up the alternatives? Obviously, when you can experience this from these churches and, and um, police, it's obvious that the system is not working in our interest, and we need our own system in its place. So it's, in other words, it's a, a way to instruct people that you need your own self-governing republics with our own assemblies, our own police, our own courts. Because, you know, we've learned time and again, as we will go into in more detail on the show, we've learned that the only way you really begin to engage with an enemy beyond words, is you look for their weaknesses, and you do that by provoking them to respond. That way you learn how to divide and conquer them. We've often talked about that on this show, about the art of war and how to divide a bigger opponent. Well, we're doing that right now as we speak. The Vancouver City Council, the police, are all exposing who they really serve, and we're proving once again the power of direct action, even by a few people. Because what matters is that we fight and never give up. That's how you, the way you get results. And by drawing more people into battle with a genocidal system, because here's the point. Battle is our only real teacher. Engaging with the system, that's how we learn. Well, also on the show today, we're going to be looking at things that are to come, not only what we've done and are doing this week, but things that are going to lie ahead. Like, for example, there's a growing movement among Indigenous people to overturn this farcical what they call the National Reconciliation Day on September 30th, where Christian Canada pretends to acknowledge its massacre of children with meaningless gestures like wearing orange T-shirts and spouting a lot of healing babble while the crime is carrying on. Instead, Native survivors of these death camps called residential schools, they renamed September 30th. It's no longer Reconciliation Day. It's now called National Reclamation Day. We're going to be wearing black T-shirts that day, not orange ones. And we're going to be mourning the dead and honoring them, the death residential school, death camp children. We're going to be honoring them by recovering all that was taken from them. We're doing that by banishing these responsible churches and governments from our lands and claiming their their wealth and their buildings as reparations for an ongoing genocide. That is our right and duty under international law to do that. And that's what real recovery looks like on our terms, not the terms of the guilty. Of course, again, as I mentioned, our power also comes when we reclaim the law as well. And I want to talk briefly about that. You know in the past, listening to the show, that we've done that through common law courts all over the world. In 2013, when we forced Pope Benedict out of office and four other cardinals, we're going to uh, continue to do that. And you've heard about the West Coast Common Law Court of Justice that we've convened. It actually convened last Friday. And this Wednesday, September 20th, we're going to start posting the case against uh, the people responsible. There's two cases on the docket. The first case has to do with the murder of Harriet Mahani, William Coombs, and Johnny Bingo Dawson, three of our beloved brothers and sisters who were murdered while in police and RCMP custody. And the indictment is going to be read online this Wednesday, September 20th. We're going to be releasing the case and summoning people into court, people like Charles Mountbatten-Windsor, so-called King of England, former Prime Minister Jean Chrétien, RCMP Inspector Peter Montague, local Catholic Archbishop Michael Miller, former United Church Moderator Gary Patterson. All those men were complicit in the murder of Harriet, William, and Johnny Bingo. And they... um, were targeted, those brothers and sisters, after we began to occupy these genocidal churches during 2007 and 2008. 
They were quite simply targeted by a church and state assassination program. So the details of that indictment are going to come out this Wednesday, September 20th. And then the second court uh, case in the docket, two days later, Friday, September 22nd. That's the case involving the targeting and destruction of my life and those around me. Because as uh, Albert House, one of our brothers in Winnipeg, once said, the shutdown of the campaign to expose their crime couldn't have happened unless Kevin Annett was shut down first. And the study of how they've done that against me is a case uh, in point of how they silence whistleblowers and people who are a threat to their system. So we're going to be looking at two of those cases concurrently and summoning to court those people. Now, don't forget, if they don't appear, it means they're tacitly admitting to the crime and... um, they can be arrested. Now, the power now of the enforcement end is that there's Indigenous elders in nine nations across Canada who have agreed and promised to provide peacekeepers to help arrest these criminals. So you're going to have not just the citizenry and deputized police, but Native warrior societies themselves involved in arresting these people when uh, the, the verdict comes in. Because don't forget the verdict has already come in from other court cases. We are adding new fuel to the fire with these cases and also more evidence of the involvement of China um, as the force behind the destruction of native communities all over B.C. today. Now, one of our best weapons in this fight is the immense guilt the church, government, and corporate criminals have and how any public action by us tends to provoke them. And I mentioned earlier about the Vancouver police writing to us about um, you know things that have happened at Catholic churches. Last week, and I should mention that at St. Patrick's Roman Catholic Church on the corner of Main Street and 12th Avenue in Vancouver, Vancouver, there was a couple of Indigenous people posting our banishment proclamation on the church, uh, including a 74-year-old Indigenous man named Daryl House. Well, when he was peacefully posting the banishment order in the church, one of the priests at St. Patrick's Church came out. His name is Piotr Lapinski. And he attacked Daryl. He grabbed him by the neck and shoved him to the ground, calling him a, quote, dirty, stinking Indian, and then ripping the banishment order off the church. Well, this copper wrote to us, didn't mention that assault. He just was concerned about us, you know, disrupting the service. Well, here's a case in point. Church priest assaults a native man, gets away with it. A man, Daryl House, who was a survivor of the Catholic death camp at the Mission Indian Residential School, where he helped bury other children killed by priests, like Piotr Lipinski. So Lipinski's assault on Daryl House was fortunately filmed, and it's going to be submitted to our West Coast Common Law Court of Justice as part of its docket of evidence. And I'm sure Priest Lipinski will be summoned to appear in court and answer why he assaulted Daryl House two days ago. Now, I'm at the break, and one of the things I want to do is um, I want to get our uh, good friend George Carlin to help us take a break and reflect on a couple of issues having to do with dead-end protest versus meaningful action and the the farce, not just the crime, but the farce called organized religion. We're going to have take a break uh, in a few minutes and listen to George Carlin talk about those things. But I want to remind you folks that to look at some of this evidence that's going to start appearing this Wednesday, September 20th, really urge you to go to... Um, the book that just came out, it's a condensation of what you find at murderbydecree.com. It's called Crimes Against Humanity in Canada, The Evidence. And um, it's, a, it's got three parts to it. The summary of the crime that happened over a century in Canada. The campaign that began in 1998 with our first tribunal in Vancouver and has carried on for 25 years. And how that campaign was effectively shut down, but how it's reviving and arising again. And the lessons learned from that campaign. And thirdly, the case docket number two that I mentioned involving the attack on my life and the destruction of everything we tried to build up over 30 years. And how that's a study of how organized religion and the state can get away with destroying people lawfully within their own culture. Really urge you to get that book. And now, of course, if you're too lazy to get the book, you can uh, hear it in detail online starting this Wednesday, September 20th, when we start posting the indictment and the evidence. And um, don't forget that this, you know, we're talking about our brother and sister, uh, Harry Nahani, William Coombs, and Johnny Bingo Dawson. Uh, 
Um, Herod was killed uh, after being put in prison in 2007 by Judge Brenda Brown. She was arrested, targeted on a protest, thrown into Surrey Remand Center, unheated cell, even though she was 74 years old, suffering from bronchitis. She died conveniently of, quote, lung cancer three weeks later. Uh, William Coombs, you know, murdered in St. Paul's Hospital after the RCMP dragged him there, after he had witnessed the abduction of those children in Kamloops by Queen Elizabeth. And Johnny Bingo Dawson, beaten to death by Vancouver police, witnessed by uh, Ricky Lavalle, who was then found dead after that. All of these crimes by the Vancouver police, the RCMP, the Catholic, Anglican, the United Churches, happening right in our own backyard. And as much as they try to silence these things, the hard evidence is out there. So, again, these are some of the things that are going to be talked about at, um, you know, as the indictment comes out this week. Now, the other thing to remember about this is that we're obligated to enforce these verdicts. People have the, the obligation now to do it. And some of these crimes that we mentioned already, don't forget that even if you don't care about murdered children and babies being trafficked today and disappearing forever by these churches, all of which have been proven in court, court records, they continually wipe off the Internet, but the fact is it's there. The truth stands. And even if you're not concerned about those things, maybe you're concerned about the fact that your tax money is being systematically ripped off by something called the Financial Concordat. It's a secret treaty between the Vatican Bank and over 120 countries including the Canadian government, which secretly diverts between 1% and 2% of taxpayers' money, that's in the tens of millions of dollars in Canada, into the coffers of the Vatican Bank to fund these crimes. That's something done without your knowledge or uh, uh, approval. So you're being systematically defrauded by that church. And, um, you know, we often say, well, appeal to people's perceived material interests. What's more basic than taxes, folks? They don't have the right to have tax-exempt status because every under the Income Tax Act in Canada, every penny of charitable organizations like the churches has to go towards either propagating their religion or doing um, charitable works. Now, we've already shown on other programs that about none of these churches put most of their money towards those charitable acts. Only a minority of their money goes towards charitable acts or their own religious practices. A lot of the money goes into the pockets of organized crime. And so we know that they are continually violating the terms of the Income Tax Act, and on that basis alone, they should lose that charitable status under the law. The police, the government, they've got a lot to answer for. They've got to answer why are they openly supporting these criminal organizations. So I'm going to take a break now. I'm going to give my throat a rest until we come back. We're going to listen to George Carlin, uh, two links uh, to shows he did. The first uh, presentation by him is called Saving the Planet, and the second is about the force of organized religion. So after those two clips, we'll be right back. See, I'm not one of these people who's worried about everything. You got people like this around you, country's full of them now. People walking around all day long, every minute of the day, worried about everything. Worried about the air, worried about the water, worried about the soil. Worried about insecticides, pesticides, food additives, carcinogens. Worried about radon gas, worried about asbestos. Worried about saving endangered species. Let me tell you about endangered species, all right? Saving endangered species is just one more arrogant attempt by humans to control nature. It's arrogant meddling. It's what got us in trouble in the first place. Doesn't anybody understand that? Interfering with nature. Over 90%, over, way over, 90% of all the species that have ever lived on this planet, ever lived, are gone. They're extinct. We didn't kill them all. They just disappeared. That's what nature does. They disappear these days at the rate of 25 a day. And I mean regardless of our, our behavior. Irrespective of how we act on this planet, 25 species that were here today will be gone tomorrow. Let them go gracefully. Leave nature alone. Haven't we done enough? We're so self-important. So self-important. Everybody's going to save something now. 
Save the trees, save the bees, save the whales, save those snails. <laughs> and the greatest arrogance of all, save the planet. What? Are these fucking people kidding me? Save the planet? We don't even know how to take care of ourselves yet. We haven't learned how to care for one another. We're going to save the fucking planet? I'm getting tired of that shit. Tired of that shit. Tired. I'm tired of fucking Earth Day. I'm tired of these self-righteous environmentalists, these white bourgeois liberals who think the only thing wrong with this country is there aren't enough bicycle paths. People trying to make the world safe for their Volvos. Besides, environmentalists don't give a shit about the planet. They don't care about the planet. Not in the abstract, they don't. Not in the abstract, they don't. You know what they're interested in? A clean place to live. Their own habitat. They're worried that someday in the future they might be personally inconvenienced. Narrow, unenlightened self-interest doesn't impress me. Besides, there is nothing wrong with the planet. Nothing wrong with the planet. The planet is fine. The people are fucked. <laughs> Difference. Difference. The planet is fine. Compared to the people, the planet is doing great. It's been here four and a half billion years. Do you ever think about the arithmetic? Planet has been here four and a half billion years. We've been here, what, 100,000? Maybe 200,000? And we've only been engaged in heavy industry for a little over 200 years. 200 years versus four and a half billion. And we have the conceit to think that somehow we're a threat? That somehow we're going to put in jeopardy this beautiful little blue-green ball that's just a-floating around the sun? The planet has been through a lot worse than us. Been through all kinds of things worse than us. Been through earthquakes, volcanoes, plate tectonics, continental drift, solar flares, sunspots, magnetic storms, the magnetic reversal of the poles, hundreds of thousands of years of bombardment by comets and asteroids and meteors, worldwide floods, tidal waves, worldwide fires, erosion, cosmic rays, recurring ice ages, and we think some plastic bags and some aluminum cans are going to make a difference? The planet... The planet... The planet isn't going anywhere. We are. We're going away. Pack your shit, folks. We're going away. And we won't leave much of a trace, either. Thank God for that. Maybe a little styrofoam. Maybe. Little styrofoam. Planet will be here and we'll be long gone. Just another failed mutation. Just another closed-end biological mistake. An evolutionary cul-de-sac. The planet will shake us off like a bad case of fleas. <laughs> a surface nuisance. <laughs> you want to know how the planet's doing? Ask those people at Pompeii who are frozen into position from volcanic ash how the planet's doing. Wonder if the planet's all right, ask those people in Mexico City or Armenia or a hundred other places buried under thousands of tons of earthquake rubble if they feel like a threat to the planet this week. <laughs> How about those people in Kilauea, Hawaii, who build their homes right next to an active volcano and then wonder why they have lava in the living room? <laughs> the planet will be here for a long, long, long time after we're gone and it will heal itself it will cleanse itself because that's what it does it's a self-correcting system the air and the water will recover the earth will be renewed and if it's true that plastic is not degradable well the planet will simply incorporate plastic into a new paradigm the earth plus plastic <laughs> the earth doesn't share our prejudice towards plastic plastic came out of the earth the earth probably sees plastic as just another one of its children could be the only reason the Earth allowed us to be spawned from it in the first place. It wanted plastic for itself. <laughs> Didn't know how to make it. Needed us. Could be the answer to our age-old philosophical question, why are we here? Plastic. Assholes. So. So. The 
plastic is here, our job is done, we can be phased out now. And I think that's really started already, don't you? I mean, to be fair, the planet probably sees us as a mild threat, something to be dealt with. And I'm sure the planet will defend itself in, in, in the uh, manner of a large organism, like a beehive or an ant colony can muster a defense. I'm sure the planet will think of something. What would you do if you were the planet trying to defend against this pesky, troublesome species? Let's see. What might... Hmm. Viruses. Viruses might be good. They seem vulnerable to viruses. And uh, viruses are tricky, always mutating and forming new strains whenever a vaccine is developed. Perhaps this first virus could be one that, that compromises the immune system of these creatures. Perhaps a human immunodeficiency virus making them vulnerable to all sorts of other diseases and infections that might come along. And maybe it could be spread sexually, making them a little reluctant to engage in the act of reproduction. Well, that's a poetic note. And it's a start. And I can dream, can I? See, I don't worry about the little things. Bees, trees, whales, snails. I think we're part of a greater wisdom than we will ever understand. A higher order. Call it what you want. Know what I call it? The big electron. The big electron. Whoa. 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 It doesn't punish. It doesn't, doesn't judge at all. It just is. And so are we. For a little while. Thanks for being here with me for a little while tonight. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. City. Take care of yourself. Take care of yourself. And take care of somebody else. Thank you. Good night. But in the bullshit department, in the bullshit department, a businessman can't hold a candle to a clergyman. Because I got to tell you the truth, folks. I got to tell you the truth. When it comes to bullshit, big time, major league bullshit you have to stand in awe in awe of the all-time champion of false promises and exaggerated claims religion no contest no contest religion religion easily has the greatest bullshit story ever told think about it religion has actually convinced people that there's an invisible man living in the sky who watches everything you do every minute of every day and the invisible man has a special list of 10 things he does not want you to do and if you do any of these 10 things he has a special place full of fire and smoke and burning and torture and anguish where he will send you to live and suffer and burn and choke and scream and cry forever and ever till the end of time but he loves you He loves you and he needs money. He always needs money. He's all powerful, all perfect, all knowing and all wise. Somehow, just can't handle money. Religion takes in billions of dollars, they pay no taxes, and they always need a little more. Now, you talk about a good bullshit story. Holy shit. Thank you very much. But I want you to know, I want you to know something. This is sincere. I want you to know, when it comes to believing in God, I really tried. I really, really tried. I tried to believe that there is a God who created each of us in his own image and likeness, loves us very much, and keeps a close eye on things. I really tried to believe that, but I got to tell you, the longer you live, the more you look around, the more you realize something is fucked up. Something is wrong here. War, disease, death, destruction, hunger, filth, poverty, torture, crime, corruption, and the ice capades. <laughs> Something is definitely wrong. This is not good work. If this is the best God can do, I am not impressed. Results like these do not belong on the resume of a supreme being. 
This is the kind of shit you'd expect from an office temp with a bad attitude. <laughs> and just between you and me, in between you and me, in any decently run universe, this guy would have been out on his all-powerful ass a long time ago. And by the way, I say this guy because I firmly believe, looking at these results, that if there is a God, it has to be a man. No woman could or would ever fuck things up like this. So, so, if, if, if there is a God, if there is, I think most reasonable people might agree that he's at least incompetent and maybe, just maybe, doesn't give a shit. Doesn't give a shit, which I admire in a person and which would explain a lot of these bad results. So rather than be just another mindless religious robot, mindlessly and, and aimlessly and blindly believing that all of this is in the hands of some spooky incompetent father figure who doesn't give a shit, I decided to look around for something else to worship. Something I could really count on. And immediately, I thought of the sun. Happened like that. Overnight, I became a sun worshiper. Well, not overnight, you can't see the sun at night. But first thing the next morning, I became a sun worshiper. Several reasons. First of all, I can see the sun, okay? <laughs> yeah. Unlike some other gods I could mention, I can actually see the sun. I'm big on that. If I can see something, I don't know, kind of helps the credibility along, you know? So every day I can see the sun as it gives me everything I need. Heat, light, food, flowers in the park, reflections on the lake, and occasional skin cancer, but hey, <laughs> at least there are no crucifixions and we're not setting people on fire simply because they don't agree with us. Sun worship is fairly simple. There's no mystery, no miracles, no pageantry, no one asks for money, there are no songs to learn, and we don't have a special building where we all gather once a week to compare clothing. And the best thing, the best thing about the sun, it never tells me I'm unworthy. It doesn't tell me I'm a bad person who needs to be saved. Hadn't said an unkind word. Treats me fine. So, I worship the sun. But, I don't pray to the sun. Know why? I wouldn't presume on our friendship. It's not polite. I've often thought people treat God rather rudely, don't you? Asking you know, trillions and trillions of prayers every day, asking and pleading and begging for favors, do this, give me that, I need a new car, I want a better job. And most of this praying takes place on Sunday, his day off. It's not nice, and it's no way to treat a friend. But people do pray, and they pray for a lot of different things. You know, your sister needs an operation on her crotch. Your, your brother was arrested for defecating in a mall. But most of all, you'd really like to fuck that hot little redhead down at the convenience store. You know, the one with the eye patch and the club foot, huh? Can you pray for that? I think you'd have to. And I say, fine, pray for anything you want. Pray for anything. But what about the divine plan? Remember that? The divine plan. Long time ago, God made a divine plan. Gave it a lot of thought, decided it was a good plan, put it into practice. And for billions and billions of years, the divine plan has been doing just fine. Now you come along and pray for something. Well, suppose the thing you want isn't in God's divine plan. What do you want him to do? Change his plan? Just for you? Doesn't it seem a little arrogant? It's a divine plan. What's the use of being God if every rundown schmuck with a two-dollar prayer book can come along and fuck up your plan? <laughs> and here's something else, another problem you might have. Suppose your prayers aren't answered. What do you say? Well, it's God's will. Thy will be done. Fine. But if it's God's will and he's going to do what he wants to anyway, why the fuck bother praying in the first place? <laughs> Seems like a big waste of time to me. Couldn't you just skip the praying part and go right to his will? It's all very confusing. So to get around a lot of this, I decided to worship the sun. But, as I said, I don't pray to the sun. You know who I pray to? Joe Pesci. <laughs> Joe Pesci. Joe Pesci. Two reasons. First of all, I think he's a good actor, okay? To me, that counts. Second, he looks like a guy who can get things done. <laughs> Joe Pesci doesn't fuck around. Doesn't fuck around. In fact, in fact, Joe Pesci came through on a couple of things that God was having trouble with. For years, I asked God to do something about my noisy neighbor with the barking dog. 
Joe Pesci straightened that cocksucker out with one visit. It's amazing what you can accomplish with a simple baseball bat. So I've been praying to Joe for about a year now, and I noticed something. I noticed that all the prayers I used to offer to God and all the prayers I now offer to Joe Pesci are being answered at about the same 50% rate. Half the time I get what I want, half the time I don't. Same as God, 50-50. Same as the four-leaf clover in the horseshoe, the wishing well in the rabbit's foot. Same as the mojo man. Same as the voodoo lady who tells you your fortune by squeezing the goat's testicles. It's all the same, 50-50. So just pick your superstition, sit back, make a wish, and enjoy yourself. And for those of you who look to the Bible for moral uh, lessons and literary qualities, I might suggest a couple of other stories for you. Uh, you might want to look at the Three Little Pigs. That's a good one. Has a nice, happy ending. I'm sure you'll like that. Then there's Little Red Riding Hood, although it does have that X-rated part where the big bad wolf actually eats the grandmother, which I didn't care for, by the way. And finally, I've often always drawn a great deal of moral comfort from Humpty Dumpty. The part I like the best, all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty Dumpty back together again. That's because there is no Humpty Dumpty and there is no God. None, not one, no God, never was. In fact, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put it this way. If there is a God, if there is a God, may he strike this audience dead. <laughs> See, nothing happened. Nothing happened, everybody's okay, all right? Tell you what, tell you what, I'll raise the stakes, I'll raise the stakes a little bit. If there is a God, may he strike me dead. See, nothing happened, oh, wait, got a little cramp in my leg, and my balls hurt. Plus, I'm blind, I'm blind, oh, now I'm okay again, must have been Joe Pesci, huh? God bless Joe Pesci, thank you all very much, Joe bless you, thank you very much, I appreciate it. Thank you, George. Well, you know, one of the reasons I put those two back-to-back -back was um, because it has to do with human credulity and incredulity. And, you know, like, especially dealing with churches over the years, having been one, having been a minister, and, of course, people often say, why the hell were you one, Kev? Um, and I tell you, at the time, I was never, even, even when I was part of the church, I never believed in it. I knew it was crap. I knew it was just... Organized religion is the opposite of any kind of genuine spirituality. But you learn these things the hard way, because I was as filled with naivety as anybody else about these things. But a few kicks in the teeth began to educate me. And the reason I played those back-to-back -back is it shows, you know, part of the, the, the problem we're dealing with so much. Case in point, the other day in Vancouver, there was a big rally, climate change rally, and apparently... If several thousand people who showed up to that um, were all hot under the collar against this thing called TMX Corporation, and uh, you know for drilling oil and gas and somehow messing up the planet. Well, what's interesting is the real perpetrator of oil and gas destruct, you know, mining and the destruction of the environment in on the West Coast is not TMX at all. It's PetroChina and Sanyapak. No mention of those corporations. And it turns out TMX is one of their chief competitors. And the protesters were all, you know, their big demand was, we demand the federal government stop using fossil fuels. Well, why no mention of PetroChina or the fact that the Trudeau government is the one that is allowing this desecration to, and ongoing genocide to occur? So my skeptical self thought, or realistic self thought, well, maybe this is a state-funded rally. None of those thousands of people... Yeah, I never saw hide or tail with them anywhere near a church when we were doing these actions against these murderous corporations and churches right here. So, you know, you have to look at things with some credulity and with the kind of humility that George is talking about. Other thing about organized religion, why I replay that one, of course, it should be self-apparent, but he talked about not paying taxes. I encountered firsthand why that is, 
when I worked at uh, Fred Victor Mission, the United Church's biggest mission in downtown Toronto. And um, one of the things I found out quickly was that it's a big money laundering operation. Some of the people on staff came to me. I, I was hired to do chaplaincy work. And as later happened in Port Alberni, I went beyond my job description and began to discover all sorts of interesting things going on with the United Church money, including this laundering of, of money for God knows who. Over $10 million is being laundered through the uh, that Fred Victor mission. And I got this from people working on staff who brought me the the record of it, the proof of it. Well, you know, naive me went to the Toronto police, and they not only refused to investigate, but they warned me to back off, as did the United Church. That's why I had to move out to Port Alberni and start again. <laughs> but, you know, that's what I don't get about these guys. Knowing I did that, why in God's name would they put me in Port Alberni, where, um, you know, the seat of the crime of the residential school death camps were, and that's what I subsequently brought out. So I think big institutions always have, have kind of an unconscious death wish, but um, it shows you how close the to home the crime is. And and in that sense, I want to just take the last 10 or 12 minutes here to remind folks that you can find a lot of this proof, murderbydecree.com. If, and I mentioned earlier the September 20th posting of the indictments and the proof against these people who were summoning into court this week, our West Coast Common Court of Justice. You can see all of that posted at murderbydecree.com under ITCCS updates. As of this Wednesday, you can see it all there. And the proof is in the evidence, so I urge you to go there. But um, also it got me realizing that uh, one of the biggest you know, impediments to a lot of this is ourselves. And looking back, you know, this actually this September is the 50th anniversary of me being involved in these kinds of actions. Uh, when I was involved as a young boy of 17, uh, protesting the military coup in Chile. And um, looking back at those times in the 1970s, even the dullest member of my generation was far better educated and politically astute about the world and its history than even the most educated youth today. Now, you can put some of that down to the homogenizing effect of the Internet and you know other mind-numbing things that we've all been through, but... The point is that back then we looked for truth ourselves in the world. We put together our view of reality not based on other people's experiences or what we read on some other medium, but just on our experiences, what we'd gone through that week. And, um, you know, if back then our, our imagination of the worst Orwellian future was exactly what we got now. People plugged into their little machines, walking on the street, tearing it, staring into machines rather than relying on their own good judgment. And I wanted to kind of focus on that because one of the things you find when you do this work, you know, you'll call a meeting like we did, for example, with the Republic Assemblies. And um, there's kind of an idealism there that's detached from reality. And I wanted that notion of personal and political realism, that is, you deal with what is rather than what you would like, that seems to be missing a lot in people. For example, you know, in our assemblies, people would start talking about things like um, Atlantis, Pleiadian star beings, this mysterious group of, quote, white hats of people who you've never met, just heard about, who are somehow going to save our ass. And the wildest assertion, without proof, stood as fact, as if reality comes into being by our imagining it, rather than it existing independently of who we are. You know, frankly, that's the kind of thing I experienced all the time working as an orderly on the UBC psychiatric ward. People would imagine things, and therefore it was real. That's what you encounter all the time these days. And it's one of the things that holds us back, because our minds are so flooded with crap, imaginary issues, people's latest idea posing as reality, all over the Internet. We're so focused on that, we can't see simple human reality anymore. That is... These churches in downtown Vancouver and all over the world are actively trafficking and murdering children as we speak. So where the hell is everyone? Why aren't we shutting down those churches? Why aren't we shutting down the government and the police and the legal system that causes that crime to continue? Why, when we call a protest, do five people show up and not several thousand? Oh, okay. Those are perhaps bigger questions. The point is it also is because people's minds are in an artificial place they're not they don't own their own minds and that's what i find the people who endure in this work are those who have had to recover themselves 
they've had to un- undergo a, a personal and political recovery based on the fact that we realize that there's only ourselves to do this. Nobody's going to come in on a white horse and save us. It's always up to us. So urge people to uh, go to several of our books, including one I wrote called Memoirs of a Revolutionary. You can get all these on, online, of course, at Amazon.com. Just put in my name, Kevin Annett, A-N-N-E-T-T. And, um, you know, in there we go into detail about one of the things we do in our workshops and training programs. Because primarily we're not talking at people, we're working with them, training them how to take these first steps into not only opposing these crimes, but reclaiming our world from these murderers in high places. One of the first things we do is teach them certain basic things about, for example, confronting your fear of authority. The hard lesson you learn on the line is these people don't have any authority, the priests, the police, the government. It's all based on our illusory fear of them that they somehow have authority over us. And when you challenge that, it, it vanishes. But you can only learn that if you're facing them, face-to-face, in a confrontational situation, like you do in any civil disobedience action. You create confrontation to expose the evil of a system and that way take its power from it. And classic example of that was I remember one of the times we were at Holy Rosary Cathedral uh, during our occupations there. This police sergeant lumbered up and he began to yell at people and he came up to this one old Native woman and said, don't you know who I am? And the woman gently said, yeah, you're just a guy in a blue suit. And, you know, he did a double take and he realized, yeah, I guess I am just a guy in a blue suit. And, you know, in the face of our determination, the police just backed off as they do time and again over whenever we cite the law to them and say, you are not obligated to defend a child-killing institution like the Catholic, the Anglican, the United Churches. People say, okay, so why, why go on about the churches? Well, because if you have to hide crime, if you have to launder money, if you have to brainwash an entire population, you need organized religion to do it with. It's the chief camouflage. It's the chief mask behind which the beast operates. So you notice the group that the people do not talk about are usually the ones that are in charge because they're blind to it. They have such hegemonic power over people thinking that they don't even think about it. That's the difficulty of taking on the crown and church because people are already brainwashed not to look in that direction. And to view those things as those institutions as relatively benign. But, you know, we know the difference in practice. Just read murderbydecree.com to see their real nature. But in the course of doing that, you realize that people have to lose those illusions in practice. And that's what we do all the time. We lead people into battle because battle is your only real teacher. You can have a hundred different ideas about reality, but they're only proven in practice whether they're true or not. And we learned every time we went up against the system and every time we do go up against it, they fall back because their power is illusory, literally like the little man behind the big mask in The Wizard of Oz. I experience that every time. Why do you think I'm still alive? Why do you think that this battle continues? Because the problem is not the authority. The problem is the cop in your head. And... That's what we try to unlearn people from. So another good book in that regard to remind people again, especially people listening for the first time, a manual for whistleblowers and hellraisers, the truth teller's shield. That's an essential book of ours that you've got to get. Um, and as a matter of fact, it's, it's even more important than the common law training manual, which is actually the bestseller. Um, it, it, it outsells all the other books of mine, all 25 of my books. But, Manual for Whistleblowers and Hellraisers, the Truth Teller Shield, goes into detail about how to navigate a bigger enemy. Drawing on the art of war, Sun Tzu, but also our own hard experience. And one of the quotes I love from Sun Tzu is, Hopeless situations are your best ally. Hostile ground heightens your focus. Place yourself and your people where you cannot retreat. Facing death you will find your true strength and profound inner power. No training can prepare you for this. Dire circumstances evoke it, unsought yet attained. The right emergency unleashes enormous power in you greater than your individual parts. We've found that in practice. When your back is to the wall, you fight harder. But only people who have been through that understand that. So I've thrown out those tidbits and that information and updates for you guys today to take action. 
And you do that by writing to us for Public National Council at ProtonMail.com and join the campaign. This campaign occurs everywhere in the world. Wherever there's a Catholic church, and that's anywhere in the world, you can take part in us now. We're united across borders against the common enemy because strategically, don't forget, they're the ones to aim at, especially. They're the chief financial underwriters of the Chinese expansion. Over a trillion dollars every year is being given by the Vatican Bank to underwrite Chinese expansion into North America and all over the world. And so when you go after the Vatican and China, you're going after the same beast. But by focusing on these church actions now, the reclamation of the Catholic churches, the arresting of their priests, the court cases that are going to be again happening this week, strategically we're, we're having a much greater effect on our numbers because of their, the union of the corporatocracy in China and the Vatican. So remember that when you take these actions. There's flyers we can share with you to get you started in this work, workshops, training programs to prepare you for these actions, and especially taking on your own city councils and getting them to annul, and the provincial governments and local authorities, to annul tax exemptions and privileges for these murderous corporations. So the ball's in your court, and I'm not doing this to, you know, to belabor the point, but if you don't take this, action now, you're going to be the next victims. And that's being proven in practice. So we'll be back next week with more of this. Um, we're going to help you hopefully recover the basic things which have atrophied in so many of us, and that's simple human solidarity. And follow murderbydecree.com, republicofkanata.org to learn how we're building, rebuilding human society and ourselves on the ground through all of this work. And in that sense, I want to go out on this um, song, Stand By Me, which really says it all. Nothing is worth anything unless we're willing to stand by each other. And I know that's one of the reasons I'm still alive after 30 years. I've stood by myself and my own integrity, even after losing everything and everyone I loved and knew. Your best companion is your own integrity and your own self. One thing they can't take from us at the end of the day is our own soul. But you've got to recover it first because it's in the dark at the moment with so many of us. This is Kevin Annett, Eagle Strong Voice. Enjoy the song. Circulate the show. Write to us, Republic National Council at ProtonMail.com to get on this fight to reclaim ourselves and the world from a murderous corporatocracy. This is Kevin Annett, Eagle Strong Voice. We're back again next week.
stand by me, stand by me, whenever. 